Hello, welcome to another issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Nabhan Islam. Nabhan, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, so my name is Nabhan Islam. Um, I'm a medical science liaison or uh, MSL in the biotech industry. I'm based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, in my spare time, I'm really into uh, like traveling and hiking and uh, visiting UNESCO sites and that sort of thing. Well, welcome to the show. Um, I know as an avid fan, you kind of know what our drill is. We're going to introduce everybody to four of your favorite tools. So, Nabhan, what's your favorite tool number one? Okay, so um, hopefully you can see this. So this is um, uh, a Victorian X cadet. So basically this is, uh, it's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, it's one of their smaller models with the aluminum scales and it has a very Spartan selection of tools. Essentially there is um, a knife, there is a can opener slash screwdriver, there is a bottle opener, apparently a wire stripper and uh, a flathead screwdriver. And then on the uh, other side, there is, uh, again, kind of a, a Phillips Tits uh, uh, nail file. Um, so I've actually had this since undergrad. So this thing is now 20 years old. And despite my best efforts, I have yet to lose it or break it um, or anything like that. So basically, this just lives on my keychain. Uh, this is essentially my EDC knife. So I'm sure... Um, you know, you may have heard the expression, like the best knife is the one you have on you. So I have gone through dozens of knives and half of them just end up in the washing machine or on the floor of my car or something along those lines. And for some reason, I always come back to, to this one. So after two decades of trial and error, um, this is, this is the one it's just sturdy. Um, it's really just kind of indestructible. There's no plastic in this whatsoever. Um, Again, the fact that it's, you know, here after 20 years uh, says something and kind of does what I need to do, just for the most part, it's opening mail, cutting string and rope, uh, occasionally, you know, opening bottles of beer. Um, um, I also take it overseas when I go camping. I don't want to take an expensive knife in case it gets caught in case like customs or I lose it somewhere. And uh, the can opener comes in really handy there because, again, a lot of times overseas, it's really hard to get some. Um, the, uh, the cans that uh, have the pull tabs, so you have to kind of open them manually. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, if you go on to like really any website, like any EDC website, any knife forum or anything like that, people will just kind of rave about this. This is kind of like one of the most recommended um, models for kind of an EDC. I think people who aren't into knives can, you know, appreciate, you know, kind of what this offers. So, so this knife is about, I don't know, maybe three inches long, three and a half inches. Uh, uh, yeah. So the, the blade, uh, it's something well, like. I mean, the knife itself and then the blade maybe is three inches or so. It's not TSA compliant, I'm sure. No. <laughs> and um, uh, so, so, yeah, it's a bit, you know, it's about the length of your, your long finger, maybe a little bit longer. And um, it's, it's you know, really brushed aluminum, but um, a couple of things. The question is, is do you carry it in your pocket or do you have to carry it in a case? Uh, I just carry it on my keychain. So there's uh, just a little, uh, 
uh, a little key ring here and uh it just it just lives with my keys so wherever my house keys go right uh, this this goes with me um i i find it's the the kind of the best way to keep it from again just kind of ending up in the washing machine or right um, or um, and you say you've had it for 20 years have you had to sharpen it yeah, I uh, shepherd it occasionally. Just, you know, you can imagine breaking down cardboard, cutting through tape, that kind of thing. Um, it does kind of wear down the edge. So um, it's not terribly often. I'd say once every two months, every three months. Um, I just get a quick touch up and it's good to go. And um, over the 20 years, have you looked at uh, other similar competing brands or, or models that um, you've considered? Or is this really the the only one that's like this yeah so i tried uh quite a few models i've tried um you know leatherman has um uh kind of a, a similar kind of setup where it's just kind of like a a short knife blade with a couple of you know uh tools um i tried a model from uh kabbalah from bob from, uh, i tried to just, just uh kind of a knife only from, from spider co and benchmade uh and like i said they're just um you know they're they're perfectly good knives, but they're just a little too bulky, a little too heavy, um, and I find that I didn't want to carry it with my keys. So I tried keeping it in my pocket or tried carrying it in case, right. and then it would just get separated from me. And then sure. when I needed it, it was never to be found. So I you know kind of ended up going back to the kid that just time after time after time. So right, so it really isn't everyday carry where you literally are carrying it all the time. Not 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 with. This knife, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, like I said, yeah, goes where my house keys go. So basically, once I leave uh, the house, um, it's it's all just with me. Right. Okay. Well, that's a really great one. Well, thanks. And again, the is the um, can you say the model number again, please? Or uh, the the Victorian X uh, Cadet, as in like, Army Cadet, essentially. Okay. And we'll have links. Well, thank you, um, Nabhan. How about? Um, uh, uh, your second choice. Okay. So this is going to be a little tricky. Um, so this is an MSR reactor stove system. So I'll show this first. So this essentially is the one liter version. Um, you're holding up a cylinder. That's a pretty fat cylinder. Um, I'm trying to think of what am I like, almost like the diameter of a fire extinguisher. Yeah, it's that's probably a good a good comparison. So, you know, take a take an average fire extinguisher, maybe cut it into about a third and third, right. size uh, of this. So um this is basically anodized aluminum. It's got a folding handle. As I said, it holds about a liter inside. And then on the bottom, you can see that, that there are these fins. Right. There's a kind of aluminum radiating fins, kind right. of like a heat sink-ish. Feel to it. Yeah, yeah. When you, I show you the rest of the system, it'll all make sense. So the second part of the system is the burner head. So this is basically a self-contained um, stove. Um, so if you're holding up like a puck, again, the same diameter, almost four inches, maybe round, like a very, like a puck that's like a hockey puck, but a big, yeah, big like. Puck. Yeah, like yeah, like maybe uh, uh, maybe like about one and a half hockey pucks stacked right. uh, together, and then on the top, you can see on the, the entire top surface, there's this domed mesh grill. So the great thing about the the reactor 
um, is that essentially it, it, the way that it works, it's not like a typical stove where you have a flame. Um, this creates essentially what MSR calls like a radiant heat. So I'm going to try and do this without burning down my home office, but essentially it runs on this LPG canister. So basically... It's the can of, you're holding up a can of propane. Propane. Yeah. Uh, this is the... Um, this is the like the propane butane. Yeah, propane mixture is a little kind of camping stove. Yeah. Screw onto the bottom of the puck. Yes, and you can see it's kind of like almost like a little sculpture, right. uh, if you will. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty simple. Um, there's no priming required. So basically, all you do is just open the valve, like you would open a valve on a barbecue. You might be able to hear the gas hissing. And then you you basically you light, light it, it with a lighter. So yep. there's a very very intense blue, low blue, right film almost around the the cage so top. It's essentially self priming right now, so it's going to essentially transform into the radiant heat. So just give it a, a few seconds. Uh, so so you can see the blue is gone, and now the the mesh. Wow, that is, is so cool. And well, yeah, so what this. it is, it's, it's a catalyst reaction. Those, yeah. uh, those, um, yeah, so it's actually not a flame. It's much more of a, the glowing wires. They're, the wires are just glowing, and there is yeah. a flame, but it's... Yeah. You so can, I'm going to turn it down. I don't know if you can see it, but there's a, there's an MSR logo etched into it, and that's how you know, basically, it's, it's ready to go. So... You can remember earlier. I was on the um, right, on the right, bottom right. of the pot. There essentially was the concave, uh -huh. and you can see that this is the convex stove. Right. Essentially, this fits together as a system. And what happens basically is that basically almost one hundred percent of the heat is transferred into the pot and then transferred into the water. There's basically no very little um, kind Loss. of waste yeah waste of heat. Um, the other thing is that essentially this makes the system um, windproof. Essentially, there's right, no flame right, right, right. in the air, and uh, essentially it, it's completely windproof. So this thing can bring a liter of water to boil in like two, two and a half minutes. Wow, wow. Uh, it's it's pretty funny when I'm camping, and usually there's communal um, eating areas in, in most campsites, and, you know, everyone's... On the on the tables or, or you yeah. know on the campfire and then everyone's got their different model of stove and people generally kind of start cooking at the same time and then basically you know people are still setting up their stove and basically my water is boiling and people just kind of look at me and they're like what the heck is that <laughs> um, so what about, what about weight wise so obviously you got speed here what how how does it compare with you know um other kinds of pumps that might require priming in terms of weight. It's probably not like fitting into the ultralight category. Uh, it's pretty darn close. So this, uh, so the burner head and the pot, um, I don't, this isn't exact, but it's it's about 450 grams. Okay. Um, um, so, um, you know, considering what the, what the stove can do, um, I think mm -hmm. it's, um, weight well spent. Um, lots of other stoves. Um, so like the the white gas stoves. Uh, obviously, you need a separate fuel tank. You've got the um, the, the you need uh, a pot, the pump. Um, you need the um, 
you know, it's like a stand and then you need the pots and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then even with um, kind of other canisters of systems, sometimes there's like a separate windshield and um, all kinds of things. So when you kind of add everything together as a system, um, this actually comes out to be quite, um, quite, quite effective. Um, so again, I've gone through a couple different um, white gas models, a couple of different canister systems, and I've been using this system uh, since pretty much the day it came out, since about, uh, I think it was 2005, 2007. It's probably one of the oldest pieces of camping gear that I own. And um, yeah, I just never found uh, any reason to, to upgrade. If you look, um, it's interesting, if you if you go on, if you look at pictures of like people um, on Mount Everest or like, trekking across the South Pole or doing all these like crazy expeditions, uh, a lot of times you'll see this so just because it's just so e e effective and efficient um, um, for, for essentially melting uh, snow, melting ice, or water. Um, right. And also probably very, very um, reliable as well. Yeah. So there's no, I mentioned uh, there's no priming. Uh, there's no maintenance. You don't have to clean any valves or, you know, uh, right, right. Uh, do anything. I drop this in the water. You just shake it out and it goes. I dropped it in the mud. You just, again, rinse it off. Uh, it's good to go. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, and uh, there was, there was, uh, the famous jet boil, which was kind of yeah. a similar concept. So how does that compare to a jet boil? Yeah. So the jet boil, um, it doesn't have like kind of like the, the radiant, uh, right. it's still essentially a plane. And if you look on the bottom of the jet boil pots, they also have the fins, but it's not entirely closed off from okay. kind, of, kind of the outside. So it is sure. kind of still have susceptible to um to a bit of wind sure um um so i i found that um that that this is still and um no problem um uh, uh what's the price so that's probably the sticking point so when i bought this uh back in 2005 i paid 120 us dollars uh, -huh. uh for for this and the price has probably doubled um, oh really now yeah oh. so msr makes these in the u.s they're they're made um out of uh they're uh, they're based out of seattle yeah um, so they're they're made in the u.s and um they kind of a i guess it's a limited production capacity as the popularity has right. um kind of in, you know gone up um the these uh the price has gone up and and uh stock is really really hard to find uh, these days so right. i got it when i did but um yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is a bit of an investment. I, I know nothing about the technology, but I do know that you can do similar kinds of things with catalytic. Um, it's like what a, your catalytic converter kind of does, and that <laughs> requires rare metals like platinum. Sure. Which have skyrocketed in price, so it's very. It's, it seems plausible to me that that might be one of the reasons why it costs so much is because of the world shortage on those catalytic metals. Um, so yeah. anyway, that's, um, but it sounds like a great investment if you do go that way. So um, I, I had not seen that and I was really, I'm really impressed. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, um, my pleasure. Um, it, it's, again, it's, it's just funny. People, people see this and they're like, where can I buy one? <laughs> if I was an MSR salesman, I'd be I'd be on easy street because right. I probably you know indirectly sold you know a dozen of these to 
friends and other campers because when they just see the performance, it's just it hands down. This is really just. And this is called the reactor system. And I see on the website that they have uh, um, different sizes. So I guess you can go bigger besides your liter. Maybe you go two liter is what they look like. So uh, originally it came in one size. uh, And then they essentially, um, with the system, the burner is almost the same. It's just the size of the pot that changes. So I see. Okay. Like you don't have to buy, you know, if you buy the the two liter version, you don't have to buy the stove again for the one liter version. You can just buy the pot itself as a standalone item and just swap pots. So they all, the, the reactor system all works together. Yeah, that's really, really great. Um, and it looks like the handle kind of collapses into it. So it gets to be um, pretty compact. Yeah. 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 That's really great. Okay, well, that's a fabulous um, suggestion. Thank you for that. Um, So let's see. um, What's your third um, suggestion for us this morning? So this is um, back in the case. So I don't know if you're going to believe me or not, but there's actually um, a chair in here. Um, so I'm wow. up, uh, a, a nylon uh, bag. Uh, it's probably about a foot long, maybe about four or five inches in diameter. So this is um, uh, a full camping chair. So when this arrived in my mailbox, I was kind of mad because I thought, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, um, I ordered a chair and these guys screwed up and sent me an algae bottle. <laughs> I opened the box and then I was like, oh my God, there actually is a chair in here. Well, you know. Um, so this is uh the Helinox Chair Zero. So this is their smallest, lightest, most compact chair. Um, so I'm gonna take it out of the uh the bag and make right. the that there. Like a, the bag looks like kind of the bag that you often put wine bottles in. Yeah, um, or something, you know, maybe like a small tent or um, right, right. an air mattress or something like that. Yeah. Um, so you can see there's, um, you know, just kind of like some rolled up fabric and you can see some, there's some hardware. So I'm just kind of undo all of this. Right. Okay. You open up kind of lots it's of... All, this is actually all one piece. So it's all connected. You know, these are kind of aluminum um, tubing um, with, you know, the rubber feet and they're connected with shock cords and... The, the plastic hub. So there's nothing to actually uh, uh, assemble, uh, strictly speaking. It's all just one piece. So basically, just quickly shake everything uh, into the holes. So all we need. So yeah, you're inserting the little rods into the the connector, the little eight. Right. And you, see, you know, there's clearly kind of like an outline of a chair right, right. here. I'm just going to put this on the ground. Yeah. And then basically, with the fabric, um, with the chair, basically you can see that um, these uh, Looks on, yeah these little uh, I don't I'm not sure what to call this thing uh, little, right, right. little pockets say um, they just yeah they just uh, fit over. So you're, yeah, he's inserting the little fabric pockets and stretching it through the frame, the aluminum frame which um, creates uh, a chair with a back. And basically, there you yeah. go. There you go. So it's, 
Yeah, very yeah. handsome. Very, let's, so yeah. so there are there are kind of similar ideas of camping stools that are a little tripod. And what they lack here is the stability of the forelegs and a back. And the back, yeah. So I think the back really is kind of what makes this. Um, so yeah, so basically, you know, I, I go I go hiking a lot. I will hike probably anywhere between 12 to maybe 18 miles per day. And, um, you know, you get to camp and you set up and you got the fire going and you're cooking. And just to be sitting like in a real chair, um, <laughs> you know, I, it's hard to really just describe just just like how much better you feel. <laughs> um, and it just I think it helps with with recovery, too, because it's just kind of like in a natural position. You're, you're sitting down in a yep. chair and it just helps with the blood flow and the aches and all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, once you sit in a chair like this, um, you'll never go back to a log or a rock <laughs> or anything like that. So even though I'm an ultralight hiker, um, this is kind of like one of the luxury items that I will carry um, just just because it just, you know, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. Oh, so what is what is the weight of, of the chip? Uh, yeah. So again, this is, um, oh, I don't I think that this adds about, uh, let me look it up here. I've got it. Yeah. So, so it's about 17 five, ounces. It's five just grams. 17 ounces. Kilo. Yeah. Yeah. Kilo. Um, yeah. And so there are a lot of other models out there. Um, so the problem is that, you know, or the problem, the issue. Um, so this particular design is patented by Helodox. And if you look at their chairs, they all kind of have a very similar setup. It's just some are bigger or taller than, than others. Um, other brands, they have to kind of change the way that the hub and spokes uh, assemble mm -hmm. um, and, and the way that the chair attaches. And, um, you know, when you read the reviews, they're just never as good as those for, for Helots. And people just rave about the Helots. It's just so easy. It's so, um, it's sturdy. I've never had any issues uh, with this whatsoever. Um, Helinox, they get their aluminum. Um, um, they, they also, um, they get their aluminum from, from a company called DAC, which makes actually all of the tent poles and stakes, uh, for a lot of tent manufacturers. So essentially the Lee aluminum, it's just really kind of like the best aluminum alloy you can get. Um, okay. so, uh, I probably had this chair for maybe five, six years. It's been with me everywhere. Uh, and it's still kicking, you know, alive and well. So, um, yeah, really great. Okay. Well, um, so this is the Helio Helinox 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 share zero Share. Yeah. Um, one, one, uh, one complaint that you might see crop up in a reviews is that it really is a bit of a narrow fit. So I'm five ten, about one eighty, uh, and it fits me just fine. But if I was a little bigger, I might probably, you know, feel a little constricted so good news there's now uh, a large version uh, a uh -huh. bit a little wider um that people might find more more comfortable so i think it just goes to show that you know there's just so much demand people have been asking hey can we get a slightly larger version uh and but uh everything else is the same about the chair so and it's probably just a little bit heavier i'm sure marginally heavier but yeah. a couple inches in every direction probably sure answer to yeah um well this is fabulous Let's see, um, 
Nampan. So what's um, your fourth tool? So you also need something to put all of this in. So uh, this is my current date hack. So this is from uh, the Swedish brand, uh, I'll mispronounce it, this uh, Fjall Raven. So probably people know them. They have very famous like uh, hiking pants uh, in particular. So they also make uh, a dip here. So um, you're, hold, you're holding up a, um, looks like a large bag without, it's a frameless pack, frame as far as I can tell. Uh, there's, a little, there's a little kind of weave of um, shock cord Yep. There. So, um, yeah, so this is basically, um, so I'll, I'll go through this, some of the features. So it, it's, a, it's a nylon pack. Um, so on the on the front panel, you have the shot cords, you know, the tuck in, you know, like a jacket or a towel or something you want on the outside of the pack. Uh, there is a, a water bottle um, pocket on, on each side. Right. One of the pockets also has a security pocket. Uh, for kind of small things you want to keep uh, you know, safe uh, on the yeah. outside of the pack. There's some light mesh padding uh, for the back panel. And then inside, I didn't really see this, but there is like a second uh, pocket kind of for like passports, wallets, mm. or notebooks. And then there is a larger pocket for like a water bladder or maybe like, um, you know, something uh, right. like a book or a magazine or, or something along those lines. So um, the great thing about the pack is that it's uh, got a roll top. And uh, essentially- so it, roll, it rolls like a dry pack. Like a dry pack. And essentially it is uh, it is a waterproof pack. So this is, it is coated and seam uh, taped. Right. Um, so, so it is uh, waterproof. So there are um, a lot of waterproof packs out there. I think a lot of them are designed Kind of more for like the, um, the kind of like the for boating uh, essentially, or like fishing, mm -hmm. or kind of like water sports, and they're usually made from PVC. So, you know, one they're they're very bulky. Two, they're kind of heavy. Three, um, they generally don't have kind of like the features you want for hiking. So, like they typically won't have like shot cord. They won't have the side pockets. Uh, it's just pretty much just like a a dry bay with with two shoulder straps attached to them. Um, so this is kind of one of the few waterproof day packs that, that mm -hmm. I can find. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, um, in the I, in the ultralight um, hiking world, there are things like Z packs, which are extremely light roll-up bags with you know that that have straps, maybe a few yeah, pockets. So, yeah, so there's um, yeah, there's Z packs. There's uh, Hyperlite uh, Mountain Gear. Um, there's a whole bunch. And how do they compare? Yeah, so to be honest, I haven't. Um, I get to make the switch to uh, to a Dyneema uh, backpack. Um, I think the probably the biggest thing for me is probably just the cost uh, of it. Um, they What's are the cost know, of this one. This uh, I think I paid um, uh, one about eighty Canadian dollars for this. Okay. So maybe like about fifty dollars US, um, but I mean, I really just—I think it's just a really good pack. So this is the pack that I took the Kilimanjaro uh, for, for my day pack, and the pack that I pull pack. So you can see that if I roll it up, it's about the size of a sweatshirt, so it just fits easily into my carry-on. Um, you know, it's what I'll take on, on day packs. It's what I'll take while I'm kind of traveling. Um, 
I took this to, to San Francisco and went to Yosemite and, and, and took this pack. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just kept everything dry. It's kept everything uh, accessible. It's just easy to find my stuff. Uh, it's also great as a, um, if, if you're commuting uh, by bike. So um, I've been, you know, the weather's been great in Vancouver. I've been running a lot of my errands on my bike, especially in the car. And, you know, my biking uh, water bottle fits in the, the pocket, the bike lock fits in the other pocket. Um, uh, it's against waterproofs in case and the rains unexpectedly, uh, everything stays dry. It's lightweight, doesn't get in the way. It's just like a really well-designed kit pack. Uh, and again, you know, the fact that it's waterproof is just kind of icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, as you said, it's like having your paneer, a paneer bag on your back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's really great. Uh, yeah, and the price is good because those e-packs are quite expensive, um, even if they are maybe lighter. Um, so this is called, I don't know how you pronounce it. Jaw? I, I think Jaw? it's Kraus. It's, uh, it, it's... Um, F-J-A-L-L. Yeah. It's, it's Swedish, right? So I think it's Fjall Raven, right? So it, you know, it means, uh, it means Arctic box. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Fjall. yeah. It's really well known. Right? If you go to any kind of camping store uh, and type it in, you'll see they've got a whole line of uh, camping here. I got a really cool. That's really great. Um, well, those, those are four fabulous ones. I love it. It's kind of the um, camping theme, ultralight camping, great tools. Thank you for those. Um, so, um, Nupon, do you want to, do you have something you want to share with us about, uh, your current excitement or interest or passion project that you're working on or anything <laughs> else? Um, I mean, I just, um, so I just got back from, um, kind of one of the biggest bucket list trips of my life. So, uh, this past February, I kind of finally bit the bullet and went to Tanzania. So, um, uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, my parents actually lived in, in Africa as expats during the, the 60s and the 70s. So I was grew up hearing stories about uh, living in Africa, but I had never gone. And obviously, you know, like as a child, you know, you're shown pictures and taught about things like elephants and zebras and lions and giraffes. But, you know, um, it's it's just a picture in a book. So it's always been... Um, it's it was always on my on my bucket list to to go to kind of the the Serengeti, go, uh -huh. go to sub-Saharan Africa to see the animals, and then you know um, as you know I'm into, into hiking and, and Kilimanjaro has been on my bucket list for for quite some time. So um, yeah, so in Kilimanjaro in Kenya though, um, no, it's in it's in Tanzania, but it's oh. very close to the Kenyan border. I see. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, um, do you have any recommendations from that? Was there an outfitter that you used, or anything else? You, if someone else was interested in, um, in taking that off on their own bucket list, do you have any suggestions? Yeah. So, <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting doing research into this because there are hundreds, if not thousands, of tour operators, and it's. Um, what happens is that, you know, for the most part, you know, the the, the tourism industry in Tanzania uh, is probably very mature at this point. And uh, essentially, a lot of these tours are just kind of commoditized, right? Um, so, you know, there isn't a lot of difference you'll see being advertised between tours or even tour operators. Um, 
sometimes smaller tour offerings will even pool people together and, and converge together. So you'll find that there's a lot of overlap and you'll see like a lot of reviews that just seem to say the same thing about it was awesome. It was great. We saw lots of animals. And it's kind of hard to figure out like, okay, like, are they a good operator or like, do they know what they're doing? Are they, you know, going to be safe? Are they going to be professional? Are we going to get our money's worth or anything like that? So um, just, you know, I think, you know, just when you go into, into searching, just kind of be aware of that. Um, also, you know, typically these, you know, competition is so fierce that uh, most tour operators, you know, they will essentially solicit reviews from their clients and they will, you know, kind of suggest what you should write. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll see again, kind of like nothing but praise for, right. for uh, these tour operators and you know, like surely something went wrong or whatever. And how can they all be the same? How can they all be great? Which one did I choose? So I think um, some tips I would recommend is just like one, um, you know, just have that perspective that a lot of these reviews are, are solicited or, and, you know, they're kind of a, uh, there's a lot of input from the other side, so they aren't entirely uh, impartial. And they're they're cherry they're cherry picked, obviously, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that being said, um, you know, if you if, you know if if you um, like I said, they're they're essentially they're they're commoditized, so it's like everyone's driving the same Land Cruisers vehicles, right? So there's no really point in picking one tour operator over another over the pictures of their Jeeps because everyone drops the same Jeep, right? The exact same model, right? Um, generally, you know, the tour the tour guides, um, you know, they have been doing this for quite some time and pretty much all of the tour guides will find you your animals, right? You will definitely see your lions, your elephants, your giraffes. Right. You'll see it. The country's just full of wildlife. At some point, you're tripping over wildlife. Um, I wouldn't worry about that. I think the thing really um, you want to do is just like one is just like make sure you get a couple of quotes um, from from people. I think sometimes there is kind of a bit of a, um, a markup just based on 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 reputation or you know um, alleged reputation. Um, I think the second thing is like you know just kind of write down um, exactly what what you want to get out of the trip, right? So. For me, like I specifically wanted to go to the Serengeti as opposed to like one of the other national parks. I wanted to spend a minimum of two full days in the Serengeti. So, um, um, you know, I, I think it will help you to narrow down um, some potential tours or tour operators if they have the criteria that you're looking for. Um, third is like for the most part, uh, I you know I recommend um, you know getting a, a private tour. So, you know, going with your significant other or uh, going with you know, a small group of friends. Uh, and essentially what at that point, essentially, is you can essentially uh, customize your tour and kind of, you know, uh, the tour guide and, and the support team is really there to support you and for you to have your trip and you're not kind of beholden to other people. And I mean, if you want to save money, by all means, you can join a large group, but you might be with, you know, uh, you might be with like a dozen other people. You've got four vehicles traveling together. Everyone has to do the same thing at the same time. And, you know, let's say you just want to, you know, uh, go off the beaten path and look at something or do something. Uh, it becomes really, really difficult because, you know, you can't really deviate from the, right. uh, the things. But, you know, if you have a private tour, uh, as I did, um, then uh, you can just, 
you know, as, as my as my tour guide said, it's just like, just tell me where to point the Jeep and we'll go. Right. right. And um, yeah, so that I spent the... I know that the, when my research, uh, so you, we're talking mostly about safaris and not about Kimiljaro, but but um, my research in safaris was that a thing that's I was interested in that seemed to be doing a little bit more was to actually have walking versions where you weren't just always in a Jeep. And I don't know if you looked at that because that was something that was important to us was I don't want to spend all the time riding around a Jeep. I like to do some hiking among the animals, if at all possible. Yeah. So the the, the thing is that in Tanzania, there's an extra fee that's charged if you want to get out of the Jeep and explore on foot. And those costs essentially are passed down to the tourists. So if you're on like a one-week safari, they're going to charge you essentially one week of walking fees just to get out of the Jeep and walk around. So um you know, it, it's sometimes it's just like a cost that people don't don't want right. to bear. Right. Um, and, and that might change country by the country, and, and, and you know, so 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 yeah. um, even park within park. So um, in in kind of like the more touristy parks, um, you know, there's only certain parts of the park where you're allowed to get out of the jeep and to walk around. Uh, they don't want kind of tourists up walking over major roads or anything like that. And, you know, because there's just so there's so much traffic that, that passes through, um, so um, yeah, so I mean it is definitely possible. Uh, just just be aware that there's probably going to be an extra charge for that, and again, you might be limited in exactly you know where you can go. Uh, and and the outfitter that you finally wound up choosing, were you happy with? Yeah, I was really really happy with that. So we had a so uh, the company was called um, uh, Killy Slopes. Um, they we had a guy that uh you know seasoned guide we've been doing this for for 20 years um so i was actually you know uh, sharing the cost with uh someone i met on TripAdvisor. it was a guy from, from germany so it was the two of us our guide um and um you know the you know the seasoned guides it's almost like they have a, you know like a spider sense right like we'd just be driving along and then he'd just like slam on the brakes and he'd be like jaguar we're like, why am I God? Wait, and you know, two hundred feet away in top of a tree, there was sure enough, there was a jaguar. Um, I remember when we saw uh, a rhino in the Ngorongoro crater. Uh, it was even a mile away, right? And it was hazy that day. And you know, uh, my buddy and I we were like looking at our binoculars, and it just make out the shape of a rhino and the horns and and whatever. And he saw it with his bare eyes, right? So. Um, it was a it was a really good uh we had a really good guide i uh, took care of us really well um really no no complaints um, mm -hmm. yeah well that's that's really great uh, i know also i have some books there are a couple of books that were really helpful in deciding where and when to do your safari where in africa and when so that's you were mentioning you wanted to go to tanzania serengeti but there are other parks in africa to see animals and sorting through that i found this book to be really, really helpful in um, assessing not just where, but also or in, in conjunction with when, because when does play a uh, an important role in where. Yeah. So everything you know in that in that part of Africa, it's um, it's all has to do with the, the season. So since all the animals are migrating, right, kind of in a circle, and you know even within one country, within let's say Tanzania, they're moving from area to area. So um, yeah, so actually, you know, at this time when I went in February, the Serengeti is actually considered to be empty. 
Uh, it was just, you know, I just wanted to spend time in the Serengeti specifically. But um, at that time, they were in a part of the country called uh, Ndutu, which is part of the Ngorongoro conservation area. So it's basically next door to the Serengeti, but it's a separate mm-hmm. conservation area. And this is where basically, this is like the wildebeests and the zebras and the gazelles for miles on end in every direction, kind of what you see on National Geographic. And so at the time of year, that's that's where they're. So we spent two days uh, there as well um, with, with all of that. So yeah, depending on where you go, um, you'll be in different parts of, of, of the country. And at some point, they'll uh, kind of even leave the country when you find them in neighboring Kenya or down to Botswana and things like that. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I, I really appreciate your those tips. Maybe they're helpful for others. Thank you for the fantastic um, lightweight camping gear suggestions. Um, they're really well well done. A couple ones I had not heard of before. I'm going to have to add to my list. So thank you. Um, we really appreciate your taking time. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Wanting to do this for, uh, for quite some time. Um, you know, I've been a, been a long time reader and, you know, occasional contributor, but, uh, yeah, first time on the podcast. So very happy to, to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. And good luck on your future hiking. Okay. Thanks. Ready. This year, our cool tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year, and I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking all, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools, and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way, um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something used to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, And we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.